Welcome to Always Listening. We're your hosts. I'm Joel. I'm Jay, and I apparently am not the night monkey. <laughs> uh, I'm sipping a refreshing IPA, Jay. That's what I'm oh, doing right now. I, I see what you did there. You, you see, I, I've, I've made that joke about 15 times so far this week to my wife, and so I finally got to make it in public. I'm excited about that. Are you, are uh, you hoppy about the IPA? I am I am very hoppy. I'm I'm as hoppy as I can be. Uh so we're going to tell you what we're talking about if you haven't been keeping up with the the news uh, around the podcasting industry. Of course, Podcast Movement 2019 just wrapped up in Orlando. Heard nothing but good things uh from that event from everybody except I will say this, <laughs> apparently the travel leaving Orlando and coming in there was a, like a storm that uh got a lot of people stuck at the airport or something uh upon their arrival and then on exit uh, my friends, um, Chrissy and uh, uh, Chris Holyfield uh, from Salt Lake City, they got stranded in the airport for like a day and a half, and then Ooh. they got stuck overnight in Denver too. Ooh. So they they are finally back in Salt Lake City, I think, sometime today. But uh, uh, it's it's been a long, long uh, bit of travel for them. So uh, everyone that made it uh, out to Podcast Movement, I hope it was a great experience for you. And there are a lot of really interesting announcements. We're going to talk about a couple of the real key ones. Uh, you've got two of our favorite sessions every year uh, that you're going to cover this year's version of those. But the biggest announcement, in my opinion, came – we've already joked about it. It's the IPA. Uh, a new organization has been formed to advocate for podcasting and podcasters on a global basis, the International Podcast Association, or IPA. They plan to offer community support, training resources, best practices, local events calendars, discounts, news, and industry representation, according to a press release from the organization. So who is in this organization? Well, theoretically, Eventually, they want all of us to be members of the organization. That's the whole point. We're all going to sign up. But to start with, they have created a board. They've got founding members, and and they are like the board of directors right now. Uh, a lot of our friends, in fact, Liz Kovar. I know ben, all of these Ben Franklin's people. world. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say we, you and I know everybody on the list, and I'm honestly really, really happy with everybody on the list. Um, yeah, everybody on the list. I have I'm, one I'm, caveat. One caveat. Okay, well, we'll get to that in a minute. So we got Liz Covart with Ben Franklin's World, James Cridlin from uh, Pod News, of course, uh, the Podcast Engineering School founder, Chris Caron, uh, Podcast Junkies host, uh, Harry Duran, Attorney and Entertainment Law Update host, Gordon Firemark, Horse Radio Network uh, founder, Glenn Abair, 12-Minute Convos host, Ingle Jones, uh, Flintstone Media Florida Podcast Network, uh, Jamie Laganour, and Sunshine and Power Cuts host, Heather Welch. So, first of all, my wife, as soon as I told her this, she goes, yeah. How many people do they have from other countries? <laughs> like that was her first question. And I said, well, actually, we've got a couple. But the one, you know, I fed her back the caveat. I said, obviously, we're primarily talking about English-speaking podcasts, English-language podcasts. So that limits what the global reach could mean. I hope that this organization allows for either a sister organization or a group within the organization that speaks specifically for Spanish language podcasts, because that is a, a group that is growing. And I know there was a great meetup at Podcast Movement specifically for Spanish-speaking podcasters. Um, so again, I think there's activity there. There's some momentum. Why not take advantage and bring all those groups together to help advocate? Because 
largely our needs and our desires are going to be similar across languages. There obviously are going to be some specific things that that group would want to advocate for that the larger group might not be interested in. So that's why I think we need to have both. But I'd love to see some combination there. Um, anyway, that's the group. I'm really excited about this. Like as I, I was reading, I was like, oh, I know them. They're my buddies. Oh, I know them. They're my buddies. Oh, I know them too. Oh, I know them. Like I, I would say that I'm friends with like half the group and I'm, and I'm friendly with everybody on the, the group, except for, I say that I've only, I've met Heather Welch once. I believe I don't, I don't know her well at all. I don't know, uh, Heather. but I'm like 99% sure that I've met her at a, a conference as well. I don't, I don't think I know Heather. I've, I've probably met Heather because, uh, here's the, here, I guess I have more than one caveat. Here's the thing. All these guys are friends. They all know each other. They're all really buddy, buddy. They're all very close. That's point number one. Point number two, uh, there is no representation from an NPR. There's no corporate podcasting representation. And if this is going to be sort of if this is going to be sort of the group of, you know, international podcasters, we need to have that sort of representation here. Independent. I, and maybe that's not in the title. Maybe that's part of the, the issue. But I, I think this is clearly a group that's not going to have any corporate representation. There's not going to be anybody on this, on well, this that's a problem. board ever, in my opinion, that comes from a Libsyn or a Blueberry or a uh, 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 an NPR well, that's a problem. or a PRX, etc. No, I, I think that's specifically the point. The, the point is, if there are enough of us in a group that can speak and vote with one voice and with one agenda, then we can matter like the corporations. Right now, Jay, Apple gets in a room and they decide they're going to change the content categories and the only voices they hear from that they care about at all are Libsyn, Blueberry, and a couple of the NPR-type companies. Gimlet Media and Spotify spoke to them and said, well, what about if, what if you do this or what if you do that? And they said, well, okay, maybe. You and I, Glenn Abear... James Cridlin has no voice, but if enough James of us has sign a bigger on voice than their organization, <laughs> James has a bigger voice I, than I, I think mean, maybe. with the pod news thing. I, I again, it's been a successful newsletter, but like, but still, it is just it is just one voice. The point of this is that we could go to Apple and say this agenda, these desires, the, the this vote speaks for 250,000 independent podcasters. That's where we that's the goal of this organization in my mind at least as it's laid out to me. And if that's if that is the goal, I think it is a worthwhile goal. That's what I've been wanting. That's what I thought we were advocating for this whole time. So to have a seat at the table. You got to have numbers though. I I agree. Having a seat at the table doesn't mean it's the one organization. I think this one organization needs to be all inclusive. It it shouldn't exclude anyone. Uh, because when you start to exclude, then you start to lose the perspectives that those other organizations have. And right or wrong, they're they're important to have to sort of come to the right place where you absolutely need to sort of be. Think about it, Joel. Right now we live in an America where there's Democrats and Republicans and those um, bad words never see eye to eye anymore. And we're at a point where we're not making any sort of progress. It's either one way or no way. It shouldn't no, be you're, you're... one way or no way. It should be everybody all together working in harmony. And that, and by creating an organization like this called the international, it, the, the international podcast association, 
which will offer community support, training, resources, best practices, local events calendars, discounts, news, and industry representation, well, then they need to represent everyone that's in the industry. And quite honestly, when it comes to best practices, and right or wrong, NPR has got the most successful podcasts that are out there. I would rather get best practices from a place like NPR than I necessarily would from... I don't know. I'm not. I, I'm not going to throw shade to that degree because no, there's no need but to. You're, no, but I, again, I think you're just. I think you're looking at this all wrong. Like you, you're using the wrong analogy. The the political analogy that you used. It's it's not like this one will party get political. If you don't think it will get political, it's going to get political rather quickly. Oh sure, sure. But it's not. It's not one party versus the other. The system we currently have is like the the british system in it's the senate versus the house jay okay what we currently have is the house of lords with no house of commons okay Fair. we have a system where the companies get together and say this is what podcasting is going to do and i hope you folks enjoy it bye and they make decisions for us our goal is to get together a large enough group that they can still ignore us and steamroll us and everything else but you don't allow a, a member of the House of Lords, a seat and a vote in the House of Commons. No, no, the corporations don't get to come to our party, thanks. We're going to have our discussion, and then we're going to send our representative to their party, right? Because they're going to be making the decision in a room that we haven't been invited to yet. So when we make our decision on what we would like to say in the room that they may or may not invite us to eventually, they don't get to come and, and lead our discussion on our vote that's my thought on it like i think you're looking at it completely mm. wrong again i don't want rob walsh in this group i don't want i don't even want todd cochran because todd cochran is an organization he's a company he's he is part of the structure i think he is an independent voice in that that structure of the system but like no man i don't want anybody from npr on this list now i i hear your i hear your your statement that all of these people know each other and a lot of them are like very close. Jamie and and um, they work together. Glenn, for instance, <laughs> host a show together. Yeah, they literally host a show together. Uh, and, and Liz Covart and and Glenn have known each other for years. I will say this: the entire podcast industry is fairly incestuous in that way, right? We're all True. pretty close in that we're still very. It's a young industry, so it would be hard to get people that don't know each other completely. I will say this: I hope one of their goals is to expand very rapidly, right? Their their leadership structure should, as the body grows and they can afford to have maybe a, a bit more resources, you jump on that, expand. We want the expansion of the diversity as well as uh, literally like the geographic diversity, but the racial diversity, et cetera, et cetera. Like we need voices from the LGBT plus community. Uh, I say that there might be some on that list already. I don't know everybody's um, orientation, but my point is, no, I completely disagree with you. And I think if you think about Dude. what the goals of the organization seem to be, dare you disagree? Then, well, I think they, we I never they disagree, disagree, Joel. Well. It never happens on yeah. this show. I've been waiting for years. Hey, by the to, way, we, before I, we forget I, I, about I, it, I've been waiting for years to just drop the line, Joel, you ignorant slut, and I still can't drop it. But <laughs> before we forget about it, the the link is in the show notes, internationalpodcastassociation.org. and there's really nothing there right now except for a link to uh, a um, a survey. That survey, survey is so important. It, that survey yeah. tells me everything that will. That will make this this work or not work, quite honestly. Indeed. So 
please, if you are a podcaster, go to internationalpodcastassociation.org and fill out that survey. Because quite honestly, this organization doesn't work if it doesn't get direction from podcasters as to how they should absolutely be working. I already, I filled it out day one. As soon as I saw it, clicked on the link, boom, filled it out. By the way, I also said I am available. <laughs> that was not one of my ca- notice that was not one of my caveats that I was not a member of this board. However, I am available to be a member on this board. I, I think this is I think it's huge. And Jay, no matter which side so let's say that that but you and I are both wrong on our like directions for the organization as far as that board of directors is concerned. And they've got some agenda in the middle or alternatively that's complete. I still I'm still happy they exist. We had to get the ball rolling. You and I and others in the industry yep. have been talking about an organization like this, a, a, a trade organization, <laughs> for years we've been talking about it. It's still a long, long road. This organization won't mean anything at all until at least this time next year, Podcast Movement 2020. It, they might have some interesting announcements around that time. Likely, it's it's more likely 2021 or 2022. Oh, it can't take that long. They're uh, that's the other no, thing. I'm saying, it can't take that long. They got to get this thing going. They got to get this thing going quickly. No, I I agree with that. But I'm saying before their impact is felt, before Fair. the large companies listen and and sort of like begin to follow the whim and the direction of an organization like this, it's a two three year process. Okay, the legal structure will probably take a year to just put everything in place and get everything up and running. But but the point is, it had to start, and so I'm glad it's well. Started. That's why I'm glad now Gordon get is in on there board. I they do have again. To take away the caveats that I pointed out there, they do have the right type of people that are involved on this board. They have a lawyer that can sort of help fill out that legal uh, framework. They do have a big voice in James Cridlin, who has the Pod News newsletter, uh, who can get the word out fairly easily to a large number of podcasters rather quickly. They do have a guy in Harry Duran, whom is a phenomenal a uh, marketer, a phenomenal networker. The guy knows just about everyone in the podcasting space. They have a big, successful, independent podcaster in Liz Covart and in Glenn the Geek, both people who have formed, you know, Liz on a one podcast basis, Glenn who's formed an entire network around a niche that works perfectly and has expanded that to even the Florida, the, the Florida network, which Jamie is a member of. See, that's and again, I don't want to get too much caught up in the weeds there, but that is definitely for me a problem with this board is 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 exactly how incestuous it is. But at the same time, you have the pieces, the perfect pieces, and you do have some international voices involved there as well, with one from New Zealand and Angle, whom I've been a guest on his podcast from Trinidad and Tobago. It it is a good first step. I'll put a I'll I'll make an even better analogy. I like this first step better than I like the music first step that we talked about last week. The music yes. first step is yes, nowhere agreed. near where we need to be. This is a much better first step towards where we need to be.
Let's go. We've got a, a couple of stories, uh, sort of sessions, as I mentioned, that we're going to discuss from podcast movement specifically. But before we get to that, let's go to the other, I think, sort of big announcement out of podcast movement. First of all, every year during the show, they announce where the next show is going to be. Uh, podcast movement 2020 will be held in Dallas, Texas. Uh, in August of next year is the first week of August, like the 5th through the 8th, I believe, are the dates. They really I'm like going to that. the southern hot states in the middle well, of summer or the end of summer. I've had several people tell me, like, really, Dallas in August? But here, here's the deal. I, first of all, I'm excited about Dallas. It, it began in Dallas, first of all, and then the second year was in Fort Worth. Fort Worth was the first year that I attended. That's where you and I met. I've got a lot of fond memories of that trip. That trip began in so many ways. You know, my podcasting journey as is like a real business uh, aspect instead of just the hobby and the and the side trip that it was. Um, so I'm jacked up about that. Also, Dallas is way closer to me. It's, it's you know it's like a four hour five hour trip instead of like a fourteen hour trip to Orlando. So uh, I'm jacked up about that. But that is not the only event that Podcast Movement announced. Now, so Podcast Movement, this is this will be their sixth year. Right or, are, or have they already done six and this will be the I seventh? I've lost. I think count. this is actually maybe the seventh event that's coming up in 2020. Will be the seventh year. So they've experimented a couple of different times. Jay, they've done some different things. They've looked at like masterminds. I think once upon a time they had like a, a sort of side group that they were working on. At one point they did the cruises for a while. They did that a couple of years in a row. I don't think that was like super successful for different cruises or a real headache in a lot of different ways. Um, they have now announced a secondary event for next year as well. Uh, this one is going to take place in L.A., and it's going to take place at the end of February, like the very last week in February. It's called Podcast Movement Evolutions. Now, the language that they've used to promote this and describe it, I, it's it was a little esoteric to me. I was like, well, how? what exactly is this event? And it wasn't clear to me. I figured maybe people in the room would understand it better. It seems like a lot of people were confused about exactly what this event means in relation and in opposition to the main event, obviously, that's going to be in Dallas. However, if you look at where the event is, if you look at, and I've gone back and I've read everything that Podcast Movement has said officially about it, and you can sort of begin to draw a little, you know, dotted lines and you can kind of draw a conclusion on what this is. First of all, I don't think you can talk about the event at all without saying it's at least a little bit of a defensive maneuver against PodFest. The dates cannot be a coincidence. They can't be. PodFest takes place early in March this year. It's always either the end of February or the beginning of March. So they're, they're not opposite each other exactly, but they are bumped up against each other. The travel for a major company or an independent like myself would be back to back. I'd be going to LA and then I'd be immediately going to Orlando. That's going to be tough for a lot of people. And I think a lot of people are going to choose one or the other. Um, so I do think that is part of it. The bigger part though, I think is that podcast movement would like to take their positioning as the premium podcast event, which they are and, and well-deserved. I think they want to take that and use it to also effectively become the podcast upfronts. I think they want a lot of business to be conducted, ad buying, show selling, syndication deals, et cetera, et cetera. I think they want those deals to become 
hey, when we do those deals every year at Podcast Movement, the summer event is not really it's not good for that. Right. If you look at when these events are for television, when the events that the big podcast companies have created on their own, all of them have some sort of event like this where they try to invite the press and they go, here's our five new shows that we're launching in the next year, or here's our shows that are coming back with great new concepts and look how well we've done in the past year or two, et cetera, et cetera. All of those types of things, it, it's going to be way... And honestly, the companies are probably going to get on board for it too because it's easier to bring the press all once. So, hey, Gimlet can get some journalists out. But if Gimlet is going to the same place where PRX is going to be and where the iHeartRadio folks are going to be and where, you know, uh, uh, Wondery is going to be and they're all showing new shows, it's going to be a hell of a lot easier to get every publication to show up. So I, to me, that's what I hear from this. Now, don't get me wrong. They're going to want you and me and anybody else to buy a ticket. And if you look, the tickets are bifurcated, right? There's an every event ticket, and then there's like an all the sessions ticket, but not all the parties ticket. I think that's specifically what this is about. They're like, PRX and NPR are not going to want to meet every Tom, Dick, and Harry but they're going to want to meet the companies. They're going to want a sure representative there. They're going to want all of the ad buyers there. They're going to want the big, um, the, a lot of, I think, like the big corporations, right? Like, let's say we've talked about Coca-Cola and, um, you know, McDonald's or whoever that are big brand advertisers that don't spend a lot of money currently in podcasting, but maybe they're thinking about it. This is the event they go to and they go, well, I wonder what we could do in podcasting. And they go to one and they hear their pitch from 10 different companies on what Coca-Cola could do with them. To go back and take what you were saying about the IPA and the way that I understand the way that you're presenting your thought of how you envision the IPA, the IPA is most likely going to be at PodFest. They're not going to be at Podcast Movement Evolutions, whereas in my vision, they would be at both uh, and they would have a strong voice at both. Uh, that's what I would like to see. Um I think this I think this division between corporate podcasting and independent podcasting I don't like the widening of that gap. I want to see it closer together. I want it I don't want there to be a division, really. I'm not naive enough to say there can never be a division. There's going to be some. There's always going to be some sort of difference of opinion in the way that things need to be done. At the same time, it needs to be closer than what it is currently. And I only see something like this widening that gap. And I don't like it, quite honestly. No, sir. Don't like it. Uh, we'll see. I'm. I, there's definitely going to be some difficulties in attending both. I don't. If you're an independent podcaster, podcast movement evolutions probably isn't for you. If you're a corporate podcaster, PodFest, honestly, probably isn't for you. Uh at the same time, the, the one there, there's room. There's room for both places. Well, and also, like you, you talk about the IPA maybe not being at this event. My my thought is like, again, as we as that organization expands, you'd hope they'd have some board members that are from the West Coast. Gordon, Gordon is, for instance, he's from LA. So I think maybe Gordon goes to evolutions as an ipa representative and doesn't actually attend podfest maybe while uh jamie and uh glenn have a big presence at podfest as ipa representatives and don't get out to la and maybe next year they try to switch it up or whatever but i i think there's an opportunity for both and we should say that again 
podcast movement is going to be glad to get your money, <laughs> no matter who you are, if you want to go to the Evolutions event. I think also that they are going to strive to have sort of something for everybody. That's difficult as they grow as an organization and as our industry industry continues to grow. You can already see that sort of uh, pushing up against itself with the event. I hear a lot of seasoned podcasters that go to Podcast Movement and they're like, it's fun. I have a great time, but I feel like the sessions can never be deep enough and focused enough to get to my level and information that I want to hear. I've mm. heard all these things before because they have to speak to 2000 people or 3000 people. So again, maybe that's what this becomes. This becomes maybe for the more seasoned podcaster and you have deeper sessions, perhaps even for an independent um, producer or, or broadcaster. And quite honestly, from what I had seen from a few of the blog posts that I've I've seen that have come out from what I learned at at Podcast Movement, if you listen to this podcast, you didn't learn necessarily anything new. Um, that's what I took out of it because as I was reading, I was reading someone's list, and I was like, "We talk about that. We talk about that. We talk about that on this show. We talk about that on this show. We talk about that on this show. We talk about that on this show." Like, there was literally nothing that we don't talk about that. There wasn't necessarily, and from what I have seen, I did not see anything necessarily new. And what I did see new were statistics that were presented, sort of giving us a better view of what this podcasting space actually looks like. And that was what was really intriguing to me. And that's always what I see when I go and attend these uh, specific events. The sessions, I myself will never get, I will probably never go into a session and go, oh my God, I was blown away by that. I learned something new because I, I'm not, I, I've been in this game for way too long. There's, there isn't anything really that new that I don't know about. And if I don't know about it, it's because it hasn't been invented yet. <laughs> I feel like every event that I attend, as long as I, uh, and sometimes I get caught up in the, the social aspect of it or the, the networking aspect of it. And I don't even focus on any of the sessions, but if I go to a session and I try to sort of actually pay attention, I generally come away with at least one or two. Uh, at this point, for me, it's it's more about inspiration than it is about actual info. Mm. For instance, a couple of years ago, I, Jonathan Oakes gave a, uh, a keynote speech. I think it was a PodFest, and he had the concept of the love meter for your audience. You know, you got to fill the love meter up and overflow it, and that's when they give back to you in some way. Boy, that has really stuck with me, and I've used that with clients. I've tried to use that with people that I'm consulting or, or you know, giving advice to on their show or how to grow their audience or their online any online uh, platform, really. It's about, I talk, I talk about that love meter idea. Uh, Dan Carlin, this was at Podcast Movement a couple of years ago in Anaheim. Uh, Dan Carlin talked about how he views his work as like, you know, chiseled in the, in the digital stone. He thinks about his podcasts as being left there in perpetuity as a, as a real legacy for him. And because of that, he doesn't mind taking extra time to get that episode out. Like he never puts him pressure on him. I mean, he's always trying to get the next thing out for his audience, but at the same time, he never puts that above getting it right. And the way that he does that is he talks about the digital stone. I'm carving it in digital stone. And I love that idea. I, I mean, we know how ephemeral podcasting can be. And if you don't pay your hosting bill or set up the right things, you know, it could go away when the thing goes away. But at the same time, uh, those files could live forever if we're smart and if we do good things with them. And this IPA puts in great practices across the organization, right? Across the industry. So 
those those ideas, little things like that happen to me every year at podcasts. Sometimes it's it's not in the sessions, sometimes it's in the hallways, but it's it's about being in front of other creators, other people who are going through the same experiences that you are, and everybody's gone through something and found that ch- chunk of wisdom and like you know melted it down to the place where it's really perfected and then they can hand it to you. <laughs> and that is super, super value. Like that is worth a conference ticket alone. That is worth the flight or the 14 hours of driving or whatever it is. Like, honestly. So that's the reason uh, I'm still bummed that I didn't go this year. I'm assuming that I missed out on somebody's golden nugget that they would have handed me off. Uh, but uh, Jay, you were talking about stats though. We do have a bunch of new stats that came out of the event and some new general uh, interesting takes on the industry from two of our favorite folks, Rob Walsh with Libsyn and Tom Webster. Of course, uh, both of them have um, big sessions every year uh, where they update uh, everything. Why don't you? Why don't we start with your boyfriend, Tom Webster? No, oh, I was going to start with Rob because I was like, well, go ahead, go to Rob first. Oh, I, I I was going <laughs> to put Rob last. Well, I mean, listen. Uh, Rob always has a unique perspective on the space because he is the vice president at the largest podcast hosting company that currently exists. And so he has access to statistics that nobody else has access to. And he can really put this whole space into a much better perspective. And he really did. I mean, he does this every year, but I feel like this year he dropped a nugget during the live new media show that I was like, that's important to note. And it was, it was this. Of the 1.4 billion Apple devices, around 150 million are listening to podcasts. That's only 10%. An even larger untapped market for listener growth is with Android users. Um, right now, that's only 1% of Android users are listening to podcasts. Now, that's not necessarily new news. We know that there are more Apple listeners than there are Android listeners. What's interesting is whenever we use those percentages, we always think of, the, you know, somebody will drop a percentage and it makes their their numbers look much more pretty. Oh, I, I grew 150% or I grew 300%. Even though Apple only has 10%, their growth year to year was still 10 times, I believe he said in the new media show, 10 times more than the growth we've seen on Spotify and Pandora and all those other Android devices. That was the nugget that I went, oh my goodness, because it doesn't matter. There is definitely a larger opportunity. It's inarguable. There's a larger opportunity getting new listeners to Android devices, but today that opportunity is still being dominated by Apple as Apple loses more and more share of the ear, if you will, in the podcasting space. They are still dominating the growth of this particular industry. The the other the thing that was interesting to me about those statistics, 1.4 billion Apple devices. Now, that's uh, the last number that Apple gave. By the way, they they update this number on a regular basis. They total devices in use, total devices uh, activated or something like that. The idea is that 
a lot of their devices, phones, tablets, their computers are all, the lifespan is very long, longer than a lot of other electronic devices. And not only are they long for one individual user, but they get handed down. So a mom will get mm-hmm. the phone. She uses the phone until she can get a new one. She gives that phone to the kid. Then that kid gives it to the younger brother. So you've got maybe four or five Apple devices None of them were new purchases necessarily, but there you now have five Apple users in that family. I will say this. You also have situations like my own. I have a phone and a Mac mini that I'm talking to you on, Jay, and an iPad Pro in front of me and an Apple Watch on my wrist. Now, that is one, two, three, four, four separate devices that Apple is counting in that number of 1.4 billion. Also, are they counting my AirPods? I've got those two. Like, is that a separate device or is that an accessory? I don't know. But so anyway, it's a little squirrely and probably that's one of the reasons why you don't see a higher number than 10% of those, you know, 1.4 billion devices being uh, used to listen uh, to, uh, to podcasts. But at the same time, it does show you I think the sense for producers is that Apple is tapped. We've got all the Apple listeners right. we're ever going to get. All, the, all of the potential growth is in Spotify and on YouTube and with Android listeners. And these numbers and Rob's general conversation says that is not true at all. Every single Apple listener is a potential one of your subscribers. And many of them don't even know what podcasts are still. And then, of course, there's still the the numbers that that Rob puts out on a on a monthly basis, and based on the podcasters that are on the Libsyn platform, noting that you know if you have a show with thirty four thousand downloads per episode, you're in the top one percent of all podcasts. So, if there are seven hundred and fifty thousand podcasts available in the Apple Store, only one percent is getting. 34,000 or more downloads per episode. As a matter of fact, 80% of that 750,000 are getting fewer than 1,100 downloads per episode. That is enormous. The number, the magic number that I like to say with advertisers uh, has varied in years. It's, you know, when I first started, it was at like 50,000, fell to 20,000. It's gone down to 10,000. I've seen some places say if you've got 5,000 downloads or more per episode, then we can get you those higher CPM live read type ads on your podcast. Now, if you're at that 5,000 mark, that means they can just start to introduce you to that type of advertisement. It's then incumbent on you to make sure that advertiser comes back. So you got to do a good job of converting your listeners into buyers for that particular product. The bigger your show is, though, the more likely it is that you're just going to get these anyway. There's been a conversation today about Joe Rogan's podcast. Apparently somebody who either knows Joe is friends with Joe or whatever. He's an MMA fighter says that Joe Rogan's making $76,000 per episode uh, for the Joe Rogan show. Uh, The number that he threw out there was he's getting seven to 10 million downloads per episode. Now, I put his numbers into the calculations that I know. And if he's if he does have like 7 million downloads per episode, he's way underperforming. He should be making at least $92,000 per episode. Uh, I, I put it in as 7 million monthly downloads, and it does come out to about 76,000. It was like $73,000 per 
per episode. But that was with one ad, and that was with a low CPM. If we know, one, Joe Rogan has multiple ads on his show, and two, he's probably commanding a higher CPM. So either way, the the number is erroneous that the guy threw out there, or if it's not erroneous, uh, Joe Rogan is underperforming. <laughs> that's, the, that's the bottom line. But I have a feeling the numbers are definitely not correct. There's this guy named Pod Vader that is available uh, to help you better manage your ad buy uh, or <laughs> ad sales there, Joe. Give him, give him a call if that number is true. <laughs> but essentially, um, yeah, there, there's uh, – I mean, listen – is what it is, but you've got to have a ginormous audience and you're in the top 1% of podcasters. Advert- ad buyers have to start understanding this too. And this is why a group like the IPA would really help out to help advertisers understand that there's only what? What's 1% of 750,000? Like that's 7,500. Did I do my math right? Take two zeros away. Yeah. At seven, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't do the math. I'm pretty sure. Math, I'm pretty so. sure that's seven thousand five hundred. So only seven thousand five hundred podcasts are available for those, for those live read CPMs. Meanwhile, just like we're you know rushing to get all those Android users, advertisers should be rushing to get all those lower podcasts. Bundle them up. There's no reason why you can't. All these hosting companies are available. A lot of them are doing ad buys for podcasters that are on their platforms, bundle these numbers up and make some money. Um, doesn't work that way, though. The inter- the other interesting thing that I think about, Jay, is, um, you know, you think of that number, 72000 per episode, let's say, it seems like a great deal of money for a podcaster. You or I think about that, and boy, that's a handsome income, right? But if you think about the entertainment world, Somebody who's been doing a show as long as Joe has been doing that show, if that was a television series or a radio show, the per episode rate would be significantly higher. I mean, you think about the the big TV contracts that you've heard once they get up to like the fifth or the sixth season, you know, the stars are getting even minor stars are getting a hundred thousand per episode. Major stars are getting, you know, maybe five hundred grand an episode or a million per episode, et cetera, et cetera. So it shows you this is still a very young medium. It's still a very young industry. Uh, and there's a lot of there's a lot of growth there. On the flip side, like Joe gets to do whatever he wants to do on this show. It's almost <laughs> he doesn't have to wait for, you know, Peter Laurie to write it or whatever. It's almost three and a half million uh, a year. Just uh, it's three million four hundred fifty six thousand a year, two hundred and eighty eight thousand a month, or something like that. And also, unlike television, there's not a he doesn't have any non competes, right? So like Joe gets to do the Joe Rogan experience and cash that check, and he still gets to go do the MMA gig, right? He still gets to go do a movie when they want it. If Netflix calls and says we want a comedy special, he goes and does that. That's not a problem. One of one of the sessions at Podcast Movement, I saw this in one of the recaps. They talked about how celebrity, what celebrities are loving the most about podcasts is they have full creative control. They don't have to answer to anyone. So they can do their thing. They control their brand. And quite honestly, this is something we've known about podcasting for years. Now celebrities are finding out about it. They're getting in. They own the they own their brand. They own their creative. They don't have to answer to anyone else other than the advertisers. Because quite honestly, if Joe Rogan went really off the deep end and said some stuff about an advertiser, they'll pull that money right quick. 
And that's why uh, Adam Curry that. believe that's why Adam Curry believes in the uh <laughs> value for value proposition in well, podcasting. I mean, so so that's that's that is true. That is obviously true. But on the flip side, boy, it's a lot more broad in the podcasting world, which you can get away with saying about the advertiser or to the advertiser, et cetera. I mean, what's the the Mark Marin thing? Boom, I just crap my pants talking yes. about the coffee, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yep. like that is and he did that for a long time, I think, before the coffee company knew about it. <laughs> I think so. Oh, goodness. All right. So. Uh, let's talk about uh, Tom Webster. My boyfriend. I wonder if he understands that I call him my boyfriend. He probably doesn't. I think he knows. I think I he think knows he how you feel about him, Jay. No. He's he's a great guy. Anyway, <laughs> Tom Webster, always a phenomenal speaker at all of these events. Uh, he put a post out there. And I meant to respond to it. Never got around to it. Um, thanking everyone for, you know, because it's one of his favorite talks that he does every year. And quite honestly, it is one of the most – when we talk about learning something at Podcast Movement, I always learn something with Tom Webster talks. But again, that's because he's he's digging into numbers that we don't have regular access to. This year, he talked about uh, rookie listeners versus veteran listeners, which I think is a very interesting dynamic to consider. Rookies uh, have been listening to podcasts – uh, for three months or less, and veterans have been listening for three years or more or something. I forgot exactly how they decided to uh, break that down. But in any case, just know if you've been a longtime listener to podcasts, you have a different listening habit than the newer listeners do. And this is what they found at Edison Research. There are more women coming into podcasting. We know that. Uh, though, But amongst the rookies... Women are 53% versus 47% male, rookie listeners. Uh, this was a survey of 1,000 Americans. Uh, with veteran listeners, it was 63% male, 37% female. Uh, that's very interesting. So, I mean, again, this isn't necessarily anything new, but it's good to see this type of number ratio and understand that the newer listeners that are coming into the space are more female than they are male. Uh, and there was a reason why podcasting was a male-dominated medium to begin with. It it was very techy. It was very much around tech. That's all things that are more male-driven than female-driven. Not that there aren't any female voices in those spaces, but it's definitely a male-dominated topic or niche. Um, rookies are younger. And again, I think that would just be sort of expected. If you're a newer listener, you're probably a younger listener than you are an older listener. Although uh, we did see in the latest share of ear that there are there is some growth with older listeners as well, but more younger listeners are definitely getting involved. Uh, the strongest demo numbers coming from 12 to 34, 54% of them say they've listened to a podcast during the past month. Uh, so that's also interesting. He also cited that a lot of this new listening is because that's where these guys are on Spotify and Pandora, which are now fully embracing podcast listening. Veterans, however, listen to more content. Uh, and again, I think that would make perfect sense. If you're a longtime podcast listener, you've been involved, you, you know what podcasts are, you know what they can do for you. When we get to the always listening portion of this podcast, I'm going to, I have a phenomenal story to share with you about how I discovered some podcasts this week. But it's all, you know what podcasts are about. 
veteran listeners listen to five hours and 10 minutes of podcast content in the past week. Rookies listen to three hours and 14 minutes. Now, I suspect as those rookie listeners become more veteran listeners, their time spent listening will also increase. Uh, that will be something to watch, I think, um, if they do continue to track this sort of data, how those rookie listeners sort of mature into the space. Because if they don't end up listening to more, why aren't they listening to more? What has changed for, for, a, for a newer listener to the space than for an older listener to the space? Rookies also subscribe less. I think that also has to do with where they're finding these podcasts. They're finding them on Spotify and Pandora. They're not necessarily subscribing. I believe the terms they use on both those platforms is follow. Um, so things aren't getting automatically downloaded. Uh, and, of course, rookies will download less because they're not subscribing to Apple. Uh, and veterans are more likely to consume the entire show, which I also think is an interesting stat. Only 41% of newcomers say that they listen to the entire show versus 71% of veteran podcast listeners. Well, if, if you think about so like, uh, here's an example, Mabimba Bam. Uh, when I first started listening to that, it was very common for me to skip the uh, money zone because, again, you're not so ingrained into the uh, culture of the show, maybe. And so all of the end jokes, et cetera, et cetera, aren't necessarily content to you i'll skip right over the ad as i the longer that i get into it the less likely i am to do that because i'm going to miss content in there that i would enjoy as well whereas if you're a rookie you don't i don't have any relationship with these podcasters i'm just listening to this one show you know i don't even know where this comes from this is just entertainment for me just like you're flipping channels you know but if you are tuned in for your favorite program you're not going to flip the channel you're just going to let it go and and so this was something that we've discussed previously uh, on this particular show, where are they finding podcasts? More rookie podcast, uh, more rookie podcast listeners are finding their podcasts from platforms like YouTube, which is not necessarily a place. I don't have my podcast on YouTube. Guess what's going to happen very, very soon? My podcast is moving. It's going to have a presence on YouTube. Uh, it's it's not a place that I would normally tell people to go listen to a podcast because, quite honestly. I don't get it. I don't get why you would listen to an audio podcast on a video platform, but clearly there's some sort of advantage there and people are discovering podcasts over on YouTube. So it's something, it's definitely something to consider. One of the biggest problems is if you're using a company like we do with, with Spreaker that has dynamic ad insertion, those ads don't travel over to YouTube. You can't count listeners from YouTube in your podcast stats. I don't know any place that does that currently. Uh, if there are places that do it, I would love to hear from them. I would love to know about them. Uh, but that was something that was noted with Joe Rogan as well, where he's getting 8 million video views over on YouTube. How does that account for his podcast listening? I don't know, quite honestly. Well, you know he's monetizing that, and we know how he's monetizing that because YouTube's got a great ad platform. The question, though, is how does that fit into the ad purchases that are made for his podcast? Are those right. sponsors counting? Are they getting any value? First of all, they are getting value. The question is, is that value being captured by his team in any way in their ad buy? Is that figured in? Are those views figured in in any way to the sale? Um, 
you mentioned the rookies on YouTube, but Jay, the numbers are not very different. It's 67% of rookies that said, yes, they've consumed a podcast via YouTube. 62% of veterans said, yes, they've consumed a podcast on YouTube. Mm. So again, I I have said on this show, I'm one of those guys, I'll, I'll argue with you in a podcast Facebook group about if you have a YouTube channel, that's not, you don't have a podcast. You've got a show. Maybe you've got a YouTube channel. Definitely. You don't have a podcast until you can put it on an RSS feed and I can subscribe to it in overcast or the Apple podcast app or insert your favorite podcast app here. But, but I'm, I mean, <laughs> here's the thing. I'm disappointed and like dismayed in that stat because this is something that I do feel passionately about, and I guess eventually I'm just going to have to eat it. On the flip side, I like his final point here. Uh, Tom Webster has a suggestion for the industry. If you can access on a podcast client, it is a podcast. Let's also say this. The podcast is a subset of the show. The podcast is the thing you stick on the podcast client, but the show is everything. And we need to think about the show, not just incorporating the podcast, but all of these pieces where people are getting podcast content. Maybe we should say show content. So we, you and I create a show and you and I, we focus on a show that is audio first and therefore podcast centric, but we do distribute it through YouTube. I, I use Spreaker. They have a function. You can connect a YouTube channel and put it out. It goes on my YouTube channel. Uh, you can go watch this show if you want to. And some people do on occasion. We get a few views there. I, so while I still want to fight the idea that that's a podcast, <laughs> it is a show. It is a show. And maybe we should all just have shows right. that we distribute, among other ways, as podcasts. Maybe that's the answer. Let's not give those people that wanted to change the name of podcasting to something else, something they could grab onto, Joel. Let's not, <laughs> let's not do that. Three actionable items that uh, Tom Webster did advise for podcasters. One, be where the listeners are because they will encounter your content, not seek it out. I think that's important to really understand uh, about this quote-unquote discovery problem in podcasting. Uh, the listeners are going to encounter your content. They're not necessarily seeking for it. Two, live where they are because they are where they are. You're not going to change where your listeners come from. That's simply not going to happen unless you have cabillions of dollars like Joe Rogan. Maybe you can move people to be where you want them to be. And three, love where they are because they are not going to be corralled anywhere else. And again, uh, similar to number two, I wonder if you just made three things just so he had the list of three because two and three are really the same thing, Tom. Just saying. Um, so no, I think it's different. I, th I think it's different. So this is something that I'm trying to think about myself. Uh, Instagram. I know that Instagram is a very successful platform for a lot of podcasters and businesses. And Instagram is not an app that I enjoy using that much. Uh, nor so do I. Because of that, I've a, I've effectively not used it to promote my business. Uh, I'm bringing my wife on board this week as an official member of the team. She, the, the, our daughters are five and a half. They're starting kindergarten this year, officially in school tomorrow. As a matter of fact, as we record this, they're going to have their first day. And so because of that, Kelly's now really on board with the, with the company. And one of the things that she's going to do is social media management and promotion. Instagram's going to be a big part of that. I know it is. But I think he has a point here. 
it's not enough for me to say, okay, I'll be there then if people are there and that's an opportunity for me. You have to get on board with it. Yeah, yeah. Because if you don't buy in, if you don't say that is valuable and can provide value to me, not just I'm going to provide value there for my audience because they are there, you, but you have to turn it around and you have to love it a little bit because if you're not, you're going to be disingenuous in your in your marketing and your messaging there. It's it's never going to take off. It's like I like Facebook. I like Facebook and I'm naturally more into using Facebook than I am even Twitter. And because of that, I've always performed better on Facebook than Twitter because I'm more genuous. I'm, I'm more genuine there, you know? I hear that. I have the same problem with Instagram. I, I really need to embrace it. But quite honestly, when you're embracing some of the other social media platforms that you know your audience is definitely on, it's hard to build a brand on multiple platforms. And so that's just myself. Um, but like I said, there's probably going to be a presence on on YouTube for, for my next Fan Up podcast. That's, uh, that's definitely going to happen in the very near future. There were a handful of other uh, stories, both from the event itself and and from later in the week, and we'll get to some of that stuff uh, next episode for you. But honestly, Jay, if you're okay with it, I'd like to kind of live with with those stories and let people sort of digest that stuff. In particular, if you don't do anything else this week as a podcaster, go take that International Podcast Association survey. Yes, Uh, go go check that out. Follow that link and take the survey and and have your voice heard. Whichever side you are on, on the way that Jay and I see it, or maybe somewhere in the middle or, or something else, like, you know, put your name in the hat, so to speak, and become part of, be, get active, and then you can help influence where that uh, organization heads. And by the way, even though I might disagree with the, with the central, uh, you know, assemblage of people to start the board and, and maybe how the assemblage continues to evolve, I still plan on being an active participant in that group, like you just said, the only way I can affect change is by being the change. Everybody wants to be in the room where it happens, Jay. Yes. I think that's from a popular musical of some sort. Is it? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's a Hamilton thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's a Hamilton well, thing. Well, that would make sense. Um, <laughs> so you've got a great story. We're going to get to our currently listening now, what what shows we've been listening to the last week. You've got a great story for yours, so I'm going to let you go last, and, and uh, uh, I won't steal your thunder. Um, I'm going to get a quick plug in here. I listened to a couple of shows, actually, from the planetbroadcasting.com uh, folks. Uh, the main show is called the Weekly Planet Podcast. I've talked about it before here on the show. We reviewed it a million years ago uh, back in the day. They're a very cool pop culture show based out of Australia. Their whole network is based out of Australia. The One of the hosts, uh, Mr. Sunday Movies, and his wife, uh, Claire, they have started a show, and it's been around for a while now. It's called Suggestible, but I finally got to check it out this week. Uh, it's actually it's very similar to a show that I might have mentioned before from uh, some of the McElroy brothers. Griffin and his wife have a show that they call Wonderful, I believe is the name of that show. And in both the cases, it's a husband-wife duo that just talk about things that they've enjoyed effectively. So in this case, Suggestible, each one of them brings a different thing every week, and it's a television show or a film or a book or a video game or an art project or something, and hey, I've really enjoyed this, and I think you might as well. Let me suggest it to you. Uh, so it's Suggestible, and there's a link in the show uh, notes. I There's so much... I mean, like even on our show, Jay, you joked about it earlier. We have we disagree often, and and there's like contention and uh, sort of like negativity. We're talking about politics in the industry, or uh, everybody's struggling to get by, et cetera, et cetera. 
I feel like a lot of shows are stressful mm. <laughs> inherently. You know, even like everybody I know listens to some murder podcast, right? Like sometimes I think it's nice to just listen to real positive things, things we like, things that are enjoyable, things that are happy, good times, and people that care about each other. And in this case, it's a husband and wife duo. They're very cute. And also they've got great accents. Why would you not want to listen to a couple of Australians? So, uh, anyway, yes. that's it. Um, I will tell you, so earlier last week, the NFL announced a partnership with Jay-Z and Rock Nation to sort of, the, the idea behind the partnership was, one, if, if you haven't been following stuff that's happened in the NFL, uh, there's been a lot of talk about uh, the social injustice that's been happening in the world. Uh, obviously, the NFL is primarily African-American. The players are primarily African-American. So it's something that touches very close to their home. And there's a number of players that have really made their voices heard. Colin Kaepernick probably being the poster child of that. Uh, and he's a guy that hasn't been involved in the NFL for the last two, two and a half years now. Uh, some have said he's been blackballed. Uh, others have said other things. Ultimately, the point is, is Jay-Z was a huge supporter of Colin Kaepernick and everything that he stood for. And now he's gone and he signed this deal with the NFL. Now, when I first heard the story, I didn't think anything of it. I thought, hey, this is a great positive move forward for the NFL and 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 the social injustices that have been happening. And so Thursday comes when I normally record my podcast and one of my African-American co-hosts comes on and he's like, Jay-Z is an Uncle Tom. And I went, whoa, this is not a take I have heard. And so uh, I, uh, he was the, there were four, there were four co-hosts on that particular show. He was the third one. I introduced the fourth one. The fourth one started talking. I said, okay, enough of that. James, tell me about this Jay-Z thing, because I had not heard that perspective whatsoever. And it come as as he was telling me the story, and as I was starting to get into it, I realized that my own media consumption uh is very much tailored to what is common to me. And so I had not heard this perspective, and it's apparently a very common one amongst African American people that Jay-Z has sold out to the NFL. He has sold them down a river, and the only color that matters is green. And I was like, wow, why have I not heard this? I, and I was like, yeah, I have. I didn't see this on any of my ESPN shows. I definitely didn't see it on the NFL Network. God forbid the NFL Network would definitely not cover a story like this. I was like, why have I not heard this? And then I started to do research into it. And uh, Jamel Hill put up an article on The Athletic. The Athletic is paid for content, so I'm probably not going to ever read her article unless someone is kind enough to post it for free. I, 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 th I would have. I'm for like 99% sure that I read her article and I know I don't pay for the, did athletic. you? I think it's free. I think I'll have to I, check I it mean, out. I believe it. W I think you're right. It's on the athletic, but I'm pretty sure it was available for free. Maybe it's only if you click through a Twitter link or something. I don't know. I don't I'm pretty know. sure. I read the article though. I, I can tell you right now, even if it is for free, that's the problem. The athletic has to solve because as soon as I saw the athletic, I went, Oh, I got it. Like, oh. That's paid for content. I guess I'm not reading that particular article. So I didn't even bother. But then I was like, you know, what media I probably can find this on is podcasts, and that's exactly what I did. I start, I, I did a, I did a Google search, and I went through media, and I found these podcasts, and one of them was the Breakdown with Sean King. What I really enjoyed about 
this particular podcast is he 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 is one person. He presents sort of a monologue. It's fifteen minutes long, but it's it's produced. It's a written. It's a written. You can tell it's written. Uh, you can't tell that it's written by the way that he performs. He delivers the information extremely well. Um, I know that it's written in because of the way that the music lines up to certain beats of what he's saying, and I really enjoyed it. It's very enjoyable, and I learned a lot about that different perspective that I clearly am not going to have because I'm a white man, uh, so I don't understand these sorts of things. I was ignorant to these sorts of things, and I was glad that I did listen to this. And then the other one was The Breakfast Club, which is actually a syndicated iHeartRadio show uh, from New York's Power 105.1. Charlemagne the God is one of the co-hosts on that particular show, and he was at this press conference and had asked questions in the press conference that were edited out of video that was shown to the, to the media, where he had asked specific questions about Colin Kaepernick. Oh yeah, trust me, this gets deep. It gets. I had not heard that. Oh that the yeah. NFL had doctored the footage. It, That's this stuff gets so deep. So it's just to me. I was like, I, I I mean, the announcement was made on a Tuesday, and I'm recording a podcast on Thursday. We weren't even going to talk about the Jay-Z thing because I was like, oh, that's great. The We're going to get better artists finally at, <laughs> during halftime of the Super Bowl. When they show up in Atlanta, we're actually going to get Atlanta artists uh, representing the city. Uh, you know, th- that would be fantastic. No, we're... It, it had nothing to do with that. And I was so glad that, one, I was glad that I have a co-host that was able to educate me on all of this. But two, it opened my eyes to the media that I consume and how not diversified I am in my regular media consumption. So I was able to get a fuller perspective. And that has always been my thing about creating podcasts is to provide as many different perspectives as you possibly can so you get closer to the truth of the story. And I didn't realize that I wasn't even doing that in my own life. And I was so glad that it happened. And I hope that at this point, you you also out there, listener, will find some of these podcasts and also give them a listen because it's important for you to have a much, my, a much more diverse media consumption diet than what I previously had to this. Well- Especially the Sean King, the, the the breakdown with Sean King. Go check that episode out. It's 15 minutes. It's, it's an easy commitment to make, and you can get a, at least you know one take on this story, even if you don't do any of the other uh, sort of homework or follow-up there. Um, so I, I did read the Jamel Hill article. I'm, again, I'm not – if I didn't, I read somebody breaking it down and you know effectively quoting her in several different places. But the, the interesting thing to me was her take was very nuanced. She was not – Inherent. I don't believe she ever actually called um, Jay an Uncle Tom. She did reference the fact that some people were going to see it that way or he would be viewed that way. She laid out, I think, towards the end, she makes the point, you know, Jay-Z did not become the first hip-hop billionaire by making easy choices his whole career or by making safe choices or choices that everybody liked. Right. Like he's done a lot of things across his career that have been sort of daring in one way or another to a segment of his current audience or potential new listeners. And largely his bets have paid off. He's been incredibly successful. You can see very easily what the NFL gets out of this. First and foremost, oh, yeah. try to move the, the conversation past Colin Kaepernick. That's the first one. The problem for me is that it is so clearly cravenly 
an attempt to buy their way out of this situation on the league's part. I can understand the argument for why Jay might want to do this in an altruistic way. As What did you and I just say a minute ago, Jay? You can't be part of the discussion if you're not in the room. Right. Right? Jay yep. now has a seat at the table. He's in the room. He's got a direct business relationship and a contract and a partnership with, with uh, uh, Goodell and the NFL officially. And because of that, he can exert a certain amount of pressure and authority on their decisions in a broad way. By that the way, the, is more rumors can't help but be good. More rumors have come out that apparently Jay Z is going to become a majority owner of an NFL team here very, very soon, which is also part of all this. So, and I would not be surprised by that at all. But Jamel also makes the point: the African American community is not served in a great way just because one African-American joins the ownership class. True. And that's effectively what has happened here. Even before he actually gets a majority ownership stake, by joining the organization in this way, by forming this partnership, where he is going to have a broad-ranging authority over every entertainment package that's featured in an NFL game, right? It's not just the Super Bowl. This is any NFL event. The... uh, uh, the um, Rock Nation is going to be in charge of that, the entertainment. That means his artists and artists that are affiliated with him are going to be featured at everything. That's cool for his group, but does that help the African-American community at large? Does that help next year's incoming rookie you know, defensive end? Does it? Right. Like, yeah. Does it help next year's freshman uh, quarterback at, you know, a, a second tier college. I don't think so. I don't think it has any effect on, and I think it's fair to criticize him for making the move. Uh, he wouldn't have made this decision if there weren't lots and lots and lots of dollars behind. Oh no, him. no. And not just the initial contract, but all the money that's going to flow through him to other artists. And, and that's wonderful and can be wonderful in many ways and better him than somebody else. Right. I mean, I guess that's his argument, but Boy, it does feel crazy that he stood, personally, he stood with Colin Kaepernick many times, gave him advice on this situation, and yet Colin is still without a job, period. Well, and and, and not to turn this into a uh, a sports podcast, and I sure. did mention this on my own, but Colin, is, take, take all that other stuff away from Colin Kaepernick. He's been out of the league for two and a half years. It's very rare that a player has been away from the league for that amount of time and can still have an impact on the game. Do I believe he's better than some backup quarterbacks in the league? Sure. That's not what Colin Kaepernick is looking for. He wants to be a starting quarterback for a team. And like I said, two and a half years out, I don't think he's got the ability to do it. And to that extent, one of my guys shared a video, a hype video of Colin Kaepernick that he put out there or he's working out with a wide receiver. And I broke it down unbiasedly and went, he threw behind the wide. Like, why would you put out a highlight of you throwing behind the wide receiver? Like that's a bad throw. (laughs) Like the wide receiver isn't talented. He's making body catches. I'm just, I'm just like, it's a bad highlight video. It's not exactly doing him good. It's actually doing the exact opposite. Sort of proving my point. You've been away from the game for too long. And in practice, you're not throwing the ball the way you should. Man, I would have given 
a tremendous amount of money to have been on the phone for when Colin called him <laughs> afterwards. They have apparently spoken. Uh, yeah. Jay says they've spoken since. Uh, there was some disagreement between the two camps over when they spoke, right. apparently, et cetera, et cetera. But, like, it could not have been good. You Like, Colin can't be happy about this decision. And I don't see how Jay makes it up to him. Honestly, I mean, you, you might be right, Jay, at, at this point, that Colin's been out of the league too long. But there was a point when he was not offered a job by any team in the league and by any reasonable standards, he was a better producer than many of the quarterbacks that were currently employed or that were getting contracts at that time. It was clear that there was a concerted effort to to shuffle him off. And until the league acknowledges that, I, I think – Jay-Z is going to have a lot of critics on this move. Most likely. And I don't think the league is going to get to move past the conversation completely either until they ignite. I mean, like, baseball's still talking about Pete Rose, ain't they? <laughs> yeah. And, like, and Pete did something wrong, but people want Pete, we, people want that acknowledged and moved past in some way. In this case, I don't think Colin did do anything wrong, and I think the public sentiment is beginning to move in his favor in some way. The NFL is not going to, this problem's not going to go away. Half their audience, at least, disagrees with what they did here. Right. You know? Well, and I will say there's one thing that Jay-Z said that Eric Reed sort of took uh, took umbrance with, and that is we need to move past the kneeling phase, right? And and to a degree, I agree. Like, the, you've kneeled. Now what are you going to do? Like, you need to do something. Like, the next step has to occur. Like, just continuing to kneel isn't isn't going to get the job done. It was probably the wrong time and the wrong person to say that. You can't hold the, you can't hold your giant novelty check, Jay Z, and also say, "Oh, it's time to stop kneeling, y'all. Let's move past." Yeah, that is bad. Bad look. Bad look. Over. Oh my goodness. Uh, Jay, I'm very excited. Thank you for sharing those links. I'm going to go check out both of those podcasts. As a matter of fact, I had not heard uh, Sean's breakdown in particular, and I I, I have heard the um uh, the what is it the Breakfast Show? Not the, the Breakfast, breakfast Club. What's the name of the thing? Yeah, the Breakfast Club. I've heard that show before. I had not listened to this episode though, so I'm excited about both of those. Um, Jay, not Jay Z, no, Jay Soderberg. <laughs> tell everybody, <laughs> yeah, you could cash a check this week too. Hey, the NFL. Jay, Jay Soderberg is available too. Uh, uh, Pod Nation can show up for all of your current entertainment events at a much lower. It's a cheaper contract, I guarantee. Probably you. not going to solve social injustice, but you know, <laughs> probably not going to be married to Beyonce either. I mean, my wife Benet is. It's close. There's a B E N in there, but. Uh, oh man! Anyway, uh, tell everybody where they can find you, especially if they're looking for some help on their podcast or consultation in that area. I am at the Real Pod Vader on Twitter, Facebook.com/slash/PodVader page, and you can email me next fan up n e x t f a n u p at gmail.com. You can find me at the Rogues Life on Twitter. Uh, you can find me on Instagram now, Pro Podcasting Services. There's not much there, but uh, some new stuff will start tomorrow. Uh, Kelly and I are going to do a date day tomorrow. It's the girls' first day of school, so we're going to drop them off and we're going to go. Um, I don't know. We're going to maybe play skee ball. We're going to go have a day drink. I know that's one thing we're going to do. <laughs> we're going to go have fun. Anyway, uh, you can find me at the rogues life or you can find me at my website, propodcastingservices.com. And until next week, 
We've been your hosts. I'm Joel. I'm Jay, not Jay-Z. Listening is a proud member of the Two Guys and a Rogue Network. You can find all of our past episodes, including more than a hundred podcast reviews, at alwayslisteningpod.com in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. For help on your podcast, visit propodcastingservices.com. Our theme song is Enough from Bethany Raven. Two guys and a rogue. I'm one guy. I'm the other. And this is The Network.